Hello and welcome to the Life on Leverage podcast. I'm your co-host Sam Johnson, joined as always by my other co-host Tyler Sells. Today we're sitting down with King's alumni and former Blackstone analyst Stefan Bullock. Stefan walks us through his transition to King's, internships he had before graduation, how to juggle work and school, and the importance of a firm's culture. He provides advice and encouragement for non-targets looking to break into some of the largest and most competitive financial institutions in the world. And he shares a bit about his passion for impact investing. Let's jump in. Thank you for coming on the Life on Leverage podcast, Stefan. How's it going? Good. How are you? Great. We're going to jump in with a few uh, little introductory questions uh, just to kind of get things moving here. Um, sure. What's your favorite neighborhood in New York City? I'm going to have to say West Village on that one. Why is that? I think just uh, restaurants and kind of the architecture and kind of, it's, I think, a very specific neighborhood in, in the city. So I definitely spend a lot of time there. And I think it's definitely my, one of my favorites. Um, next question. What company um, or industry are you long on right now and why? Then this is I'm, investing advice just for conversation. Sure. Um, for me, I'm definitely long Tesla. I think uh, maybe not the most popular uh, belief, but I think as a company, kind of thinking about innovation, um, being very forward thinking and um, providing and trying to figure solution, that type of solution, um, thinking about cars, automated cars, and mm-hmm. even like SpaceX and stuff, I think it's just a, definitely a very forward thinking company. So I'm um, definitely kind of long, long on that. That's, yeah, that's a great answer. Um, what on the on the flip end of that what company are or industry are you short on right now and why i'm short uh, macy's kind of i think for the opposite reason is i think that they're a little stuck in their ways and haven't really pivoted to meet the demand and kind of consumer tastes as other smaller companies have or even larger companies so i think that their traditional model isn't going to be around necessarily forever and We've definitely seen that as like Lord and Taylor and other types of uh, Neiman's even coming through from this crisis, I think have shown that that traditional type of retail isn't there. Um, so I think that's definitely my short. Awesome. Kind of getting right into it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your early career and story, maybe starting with your decision to come to King's and your experience uh, at King's and in New York City as an undergrad. Sure. So I actually, um, Grew up in Chicago and started working, working when I started my university there. So um, kind of the story of how I came here is that my boss at the time kind of presented the idea of moving to New York and to really open up and grow the office here. So I really kind of took it as a chance to explore something different and kind of learn. So that for me is kind of what brought me to New York. And then regarding Kings, um, I really came, we came kind of prior to moving for a work trip and kind of walking around our office, which was on wall. Um, I, we saw kind of, I saw Kings and I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like it's close to the office. So I definitely looked into it. And um, kind of my original thought was transferring to Columbia or NYU. But after researching Kings, I really knew that it was exactly what I wanted and a really good from, fit for me. So um, I think partially the first thing that drew me was the program. And then after kind of doing Inviso, the, um, the students and the staff and the professors and getting to meet everybody is really kind of what sealed the deal for me uh, to come to Kings. 
what made you choose the politics, philosophy, and economics degree um, versus like a traditional business or finance degree? So actually before transferring to King's, I was on a path to do a double major in economics and political science. And then kind of when I found King's that offered both of those plus philosophy, I think for me it was perfect. I've always really wanted to be in finance because I really saw it as a, dif- as a discipline and a energy that and I think it like really powers and moves the whole world. So that for me was really what interested me. But at that point, really having a few years of experience and kind of built up some technical skills on the job, I really wanted an undergraduate degree that was a, that allowed me to see the world kind of and understand the world. I think finance is not monodimensional. It's not in its own bubble, but rather it's really a discipline that's embedded in the world around us. So therefore you can't just know finance by itself, but you really have to really, you really have to understand it and it's surrounding what influences it. So therefore I thought really the PPE degree kind of gave me that broader understanding. Um, and then kind of for future, I think it set me up. I really want to do a, a law degree as well as a business degree. So I think for me, it was a great foundation in addition to the experience that I had. And I think Sam and I have both really appreciated the PPE background that we're we're getting it's even great when we're talking about going into interviews we kind of have a little bit of a different edge because we're not just a normal finance student we can yeah. talk about things that are a little bit more diverse uh, but talk to us a little bit about your internship with uh, TJM and the work you were doing there it seems like you were working quite a bit while also juggling school was that a challenge for you going back would you do it the same way would you do anything different yeah I think I started actually as an in- summer intern there and then come the fall semester I really became a full-time analyst um, and could really continue to work full-time with them throughout my undergraduate work. Um, for me, I think the first important thing for me was really to understand my priorities and dedicate your time accordingly. I think the work-life balance or the school work balance, whatever you, however you look at it, is really understanding what's a priority and, uh, and you're adjusting your time to it. Um, I think once you have your priorities straight, uh, you stick to them and everything really does begin to align like that. Um, even like your friends and your family and all, kind of the surroundings really understand that and will be supportive of it. I think on a more day-to-day organization and communication was critical to be kind of be able to do both. I mean, I was working, I had full, full lo- class load as well as like a full workload. Um, so it's thinking about mapping out assignments, projects and readings that you have to do, not just for your week, but for the month, for the semester and kind of building a schedule around it. I think for me, I had every day scheduled basically from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. And like every 15, 30 minute segment was filled with something, whether it's traveling, whether it's an opportunity to read, finishing homework. So I think that was um, that was definitely crucial in finishing it. I think additionally, communication both to my boss and my team, as well as to the professors, kind of like keeping both in the loop and being, really being proactive on that type of communication like what you need and kind of managing expectations for both sides is really important to get everybody kind of behind you and support you. I don't think I would have had done anything differently. I think um, having the ability to work and go to school, no matter if it's part-time or full-time, it doesn't matter, but having the ability to do both, I think um, really prepares you well and allows you, it really allowed me to focus on both actually. Cause I, I mean, you have your, time is so dedicated and kind of stretched. So you really have to focus on, focus on both and be really efficient on how you do things. 
those are all really good insights. What was kind of the nature of the work that you were doing there? Uh, and maybe talk just a little bit about the firm itself. Sure. So TGM is a boutique institutional broker dealer. So they've really focused on um, providing their clients the other side of the trade. So if a client's looking to sell, they find the buyer and vice versa. Um, what I, the first role, that analyst role that I came in on, I was focused on the equities desk. So uh, really being a trade support analyst and trading desk analyst. So making sure that tickets were stamped, making sure that confirmations were sent, um, really being kind of heavily involved in operational aspect of trades. And then kind of pivoted a little bit when I came to New York, I was really managing the office and then helping my boss build out a team. So when we hired somebody for that new team, onboarding them as a broker, onboarding their clients, building out processes and um, for them to be able to execute trades and really kind of building in the operational infrastructure that they needed. So it was definitely a, I would say a lot of responsibility, but um, very doable. So that's kind of, that was definitely the nature of the work. Was there a formal training process at TGM or were you just kind of thrown into the deep end and expected to figure it all out? Yeah, no training at all. That was kind of on the go, ad hoc, full, <laughs> fully. I mean, um, it's a small firm and I think generally what you see at small firms has been that you don't, they don't have either a formal training process or that um, they don't have the staff or the people to either do the training or um, kind of do the work so that everybody's generally short-handed so um, short-staffed I should say so they really need everybody to be on board and kind of efficient and quick so you have you learn quickly and um, kind of everybody's everybody's time is limited and especially if you don't have large teams as you would at a larger firm so um, different different style of work and you end up wearing a lot of different hats and um, kind of learning on the go. So that's kind of the, it is difficult, but it's also a challenge. And I think you definitely do grow and learn a lot in the process. Thank you for that. Kind of transitioning to uh, after school, could you give mm -hmm. us a little bit of an insight into your first job after school, how you got that um, and what that looked like? Yeah, so I, when I graduated, I stayed with TJM kind of full, continuing full-time and but I was also looking for kind of to transition and try something different my boss had really suggested to move to a bigger shop to get an understanding of what more what a larger firm looks like and kind of what they do and learn from them as well so I just kind of started applying and um, online and kind of what I would recommend is like I made tiers of places so I was like okay these are the tier a b and c of these are my first choice, second choice, and third choice places and kind of doing a casting a wide net, as they would say. So looking at small shops, uh, big firms, even like consulting, corporate finance, private equity, hedge funds, banks. So really kind of casting a wide net and seeing what sticks and putting them in categories of like, where would you like to work first and, and kind of having a reasoning as to why. Um, so for me, that was kind of the first step in kind of mapping out the field and really understanding it. And part of that was reaching out to alum. Uh, Professor Brunberg was a great help in connecting me with people, more so to just to get informational interviews to really understand what am I getting into and what are options and where to look. So that I think was definitely the how the process began. And then after that was either network, like 
going to my network, seeing if they have any connections at any of the firms, or if not, just applying online and kind of keep keeping uh, up to date as to when jobs are posted, um, what do they offer, and kind of applying and kind of hoping for the best, I think. Um, out of school, that's really, I think in any job search is really kind of that, and whatever opportunity opens up is kind of, you go from there. So that's definitely how it started, and that's how I kind of ended up at Blackstone was, I just applied through through their website, didn't actually didn't really know anybody there, um, but ended up kind of going through their interview process and then getting hired. If you applied online, that has a very, very low chance of su success um, probability-wise. How are you able to even get an interview one, but then go past that first first round interview and keep going through the process? Yeah, I think from, unfortunately, it's a chance system and uh, you can apply and have the perfect resume and not get through or you can, whatever the perfect resume kind of might be, or you can apply and not have exactly what they're looking for, but still get through. I think what I've seen once I enter there is that it goes through, uh, there's a robot that scans it, then there's uh, somebody in HR that takes a look. And then from there, they kind of decide if they want to bring it to the hiring manager or not. So I think not just for big firms or small firms, but I think in any kind of hiring or recruitment process, it's that's the challenge. And you just kind of have to know what you're dealing with and go from there. Um, I've seen people that were referred by someone internally and they still didn't even make it to the interview process. So I, I didn't always tell people don't take it personally it's not a um it's not a personal thing that there's no perfect resume you can build to make sure that you get in selected for the interview process um you can see a job description that you're fully qualified for your resume fits perfectly that you think but you never get called for an interview and i've even been in circumstances that they've called me for interviews that i don't think i was even necessarily that qualified but they still like my resume so there's a lot that happens behind the scenes that you can't adjust to so don't ever think that that's kind of um that you have to do that kind of just present your resume apply make the application as great as you can and um, just hope for the best. And really, I think the most important part of that, speaking to the statistic part, is really try as many options as you can. So knock on as many doors, send as many applications as you can, and that kind of increases, statistically increases your chances of having like um, an interview. But And then to the interview process, it's really, for them, was I was really genuine and kind of what I've done, and I was enthusiastic of being there, um, I know that I even I had like a technical question that they had asked me during the interview that I messed up on. Um, but my man, the, well, the gentleman that I interviewed with, he was like, it's okay. We, ex we don't expect you to know everything coming in. And it's definitely, um, they saw me as somebody that was teachable that came with a lot of great skills. So um, I think that for them mattered more. And I think anybody coming out of school it's that's going to be the focus is kind of what soft more what soft skills you bring um versus necessarily some technicals wow those are all really good insights and helpful for us even and other undergrads that's that's exactly the type of insights that we need uh tell us a little bit about what uh blackstone alternative asset management is and then may dive into a little bit of your the role that you had there sure so uh 
Blackstone kind of generally really known more for private equity and real estate. The, um, another, another kind of business unit is BAM, so Blackstone Alternative Asset Management, which is a business unit that really focuses on hedge fund solutions. So I think generally when you think about private equity and real estate, more long-term investments, um, kind of you're locked in there for five, six, 10 years, even up even more. Uh, what kind of the hedge fund solutions group does is provide more liquid types of investment. And the main product is a traditional fund of fund model where we really pull capital from investors and allocate that money directly to hedge funds. So um, we're not the ones going out and making direct investments in the market. We're just selecting funds or managers that we think are doing that well. Um, so bam, so that's kind of the main platform is that fund of fund. Also, additionally, they do have a direct investing platform um, where the team has the discretion to invest directly or co-invest with other managers and opportunistic investment investments that do come up. Um, that's really at their discretion and that can be a wide, like a wide range of investment opportunities. So that's really, that's an interesting kind of line within BAM. And then lastly, there's a seeding and a GP stakes business. So what GP stakes is the team has like a discretion, has a fund that goes out and buys GP stakes at existing managers, which could either be hedge funds or, or private equity firms. So they come in at the GP level and buy a stake in the business. Um, mm -hmm. And then a, the seeding part is they give capital to new hedge fund launches as kind of early investors. So they don't give them, they're not like a GP investor. They're coming in as an LP investor um, mm -hmm. that they think uh, managers really is worth it and worth for them to be an early investor. And in. so um, those are, that's kind of how, what BAM looks like internally. I would say 80% of the business is really focused on the fund of funds businesses. And then the rest, the other 20 is kind of split up 10%, um, I would say equally between the GP and seating and the um, direct, in, direct investing platform. The, the hedge fund space has been struggling for a decade or so at this point, what are some ways that Blackstone um, is able to identify what they would consider superior funds or superior managers in the midst of a lot of underperformance? Yeah, I think kind of had, I think we as a business group within the firm in general, like when you see the returns, because it is public, when you see the returns compared to private equity and real estate, it's not as exciting. Definitely when you're searching out managers, first is what's a different, if what's the strategy that differentiates them? And then second, what fees are you paying? I think um, because we have to pay fees to those managers, but we're also charging fees to clients for managing their money. So clients are really worried about fees and kind of, if you're giving me 2% returns, how much did you charge to give that return and what are alternatives that they can go to? So I think for, for them, for, for, I should say for us, it's really the, the key is trying to find, trying to find deals or trying to find investments that are not available to everybody. And I think kind of given the size, we're able to source that. So I think a lot of the, the team that really sources, sources deals and researchers and managers they're really trying to find ones that either we can come in early and get a fee break um or that they're able to find an opportunity that's going to 
give larger returns, even if fees are kind of more in the traditional traditional range. So I think it's definitely something that weighs kind of heavy on the team is you it's a constant day-to-day battle to try to find like seek returns and kind of provide that to clients and provide justification as to why they should continue to pay, pay us. Uh, it gives us a very, very good landscape of what BAM does. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about uh, what you did day to day working for BAM. So could you give us kind of an idea what that looked like? Yeah, so the role definitely, um, it's an analyst role. So really any analyst role at any firm as you're the junior person, that's either there to support directly to provide support directly to one manager or a couple managers mm-hmm. and or to a team. Um, so really kind of you're there for really whatever is needed and obviously to learn along the way, but um, it was dealing with a lot of client requests, present- like putting presentations together, um, working on long-term projects, thinking about um, process improvements, um, and really being that su- kind of that support that the team can lean on so that if your team of five if everyone's in the meeting that you're kind of there if somebody comes with a question that you can answer or um if there's a presentation that needs to be put together to go source the data and put it together and kind of guide the team through it or doing research on market trends what you're seeing uh as a team and kind of what you what you think would be like value add to the team so always kind of having that mentality in place i think is definitely the day-to-day so um kind of that that would that's generally to be expected i think from any analyst at any firm whether you're at a bank whether you're at a private equity firm whether you're at a hedge fund i think all of that kind of analyst roles really do look similar and kind of you're there for support what was the the culture of your firm or business group or your team like whichever one you'd like to talk about yeah i think generally the culture of the firm is one that's a little bit more traditional Wall Street type of firm, I think, where you're coming in early, leaving late, um, where like face time with your managers and peers during the day really matters. Um, so I would say that's kind of a general feel, I, but that can change and vary depending on the team um, that you're on and the manager that you report to and kind of what their expectations are. So I think that is generally kind of, I some firms are more are different but i think this one is definitely more of a traditional but you find managers that kind of vary across the spectrum within that um i do think that the culture of blackstone and i think what what really does give it its distinguishing factor is that they are really client focused and they're very careful of that their reputation really matters and what they provide and the service that they provide to clients is really what they're focused on i think that um you're really when you look at okay we're serving clients and our clients are pension fund generally pension funds so you're thinking about teacher teachers firefighters um, police officers so you're talking about public pension funds across the country or some in some cases across the world and you're what service are you providing them so you're really trying to make sure that they have retirement money when they when they retire so when you i think the culture is definitely focused on that and i think um Generally, I think the people from the outside have these crazy stereotypes and preconceived notions of Wall Street or what a finance firm looks like. And I think 
if you're if that's what you're going for for that's the lifestyle that you're going for i think maybe maybe not the right path for you but um i do think that that at the end of the day we're a financial service provider and you don't lose sight of that because you're really focused on the value that you add to the people that you serve so and that's why they're paying you right like you're being paid to provide that service so i think they definitely have that culture the culture has has that in in the back of their minds at all times did you feel like you your internship and then your work at tjm prepared you well both on a like being able to do the actual work itself and then also the environment like did you truly feel like you were prepared or was there a big learning curve on either the kind of culture side or on the actual day-to-day work side for me i think coming from a uh, smaller firm where you were really kind of thrown in the deep end and needed to learn quickly prepared me well for coming into a larger shop. Um, I think that it allows you to be adaptable very quickly and uh, be resourceful. Um, I come from a, like coming from a firm that you don't necessarily have a lot of resources at hand. um, That makes you really realize kind of how to make things efficient and how to like be resourceful for yourself. So doing your own research, being proactive and asking questions and all of that, I think really prepared me well. I think that the learning curve, the learning curve that you have is the vocabulary, the products, um, and kind of the internal culture because um, each team is different. Each team, each culture of the team is different and knowing kind of how to interact with the other teams that you're working on, because now you have a lot, you're interacting with a different team and that's not just a person it's a team of five six ten people so that for me was the learning curve is kind of understanding how to be a part of that and uh, kind of move and move internally to get kind of what you need done so but I think that's generally at any any place that you go you'll kind of experience the same that's great thank you for that Um, what was the the work-life balance like at Blackstone during your time there was it you know, were you able to have a lot of time for your hobbies or just could you tell us more about that? I think that um, for me, it was really dependent on the team. I think you, some teams are, require you and the work requires you to be there um, 7 a.m. till 10 p.m. and on the weekends, other teams and other types of work allows for a different work-life balance. I think generally coming in, as an analyst on any team, you're really expected to be work focused. Um, so especially at the beginning where you have a heavy learning curve that you need to catch up. So it's really putting in the time and effort at the beginning, I think, to really get an understanding of what you're doing and being able to kind of capture that is important. And then I think um, after some time, it does end up balancing better. And you, once you're more comfortable with the work, load that you have and knowing how to manage it it does become better um but yeah i think definitely as an analyst it's uh definitely work focused and i think that the culture of the firm is generally the people that work there work orientated so even managing directors vps whatever their title is that they're definitely work focused so it's not that you're you're an analyst and your manager leaves at 3 p.m every day it's no they're generally there late also with you so um that's and it also depends really on the manager so it kind of kind of depends on what team you land on but if it's something that's important for you it's definitely part of it should be part of your interview questions and 
asking them kind of what their expectations are just to know kind of what you're getting into and if that's something that you want to want to pursue. That's really helpful. Transitioning gears here from then your role, you know, part of what Sam and I are trying to do in this is help specifically students that are coming from smaller schools like King's. And obviously you've had a great, a great career so far. Could you tell us a little bit about what you think we, maybe Samurai and other students need to be focusing on, whether that's soft or hard skills as we're in college to really help us propel into a career? Yeah, for the first, like, I think coming out of college, really having an understanding that employers know that you don't know everything and that you don't, you have limited experience. So kind of have an understanding that they know that and they don't expect anything different. Um, that being said, I think some hard skills that are expected is really the perfection or advanced knowledge of Word, PowerPoint, Excel, uh, and Outlook kind of that those fundamentals are really important uh most roles especially in finance are going to involve a lot of data um so really knowing how to manipulate data analyze it and present it is also very important so um if you can familiarize yourself with like tableau for example which is kind of a data presentation app like a lot of um a lot of teams and roles are really if it's not expected, it's preferred. And if you can come with that, even with some experience, I think it's really helpful for them. Um, also, I've been really seeing a lot of addition, addition, kind of additional skills of like coding, VBA, modeling experience is always an added bonus. Really um, mastery of Excel and being able to make models, being able to um, code within Excel, I think that provides a lot of hard values. Um, you'll see that some roles either require it, some like, preferred it, or some don't express anything regarding that. But um, either way, I think even if you don't have a specific skill, really expressing that you want to learn and that you're capable of learning it and um, kind of demonstrate that, I think would be first very helpful on the hard skills. I think where students coming out of school really should focus on, and I think what really makes them stand out, is the soft skills. So are you detail oriented? Are you enthusiastic? How do you present verbally? How do you present written? Are you confident? Are you team oriented? Hardworking, organized, thoughtful? Are you easy to work with? Like all of those soft skills are things at the end of the day that matter as much as the hard ones. Sometimes I would say even more, especially for junior roles where you don't have necessarily the physical time to build up your hard skills. So you really need to overcompensate that by kind of having those soft skills that allow you then to learn and kind of catch up on that learning curve. Um, like you can show them all the courses that you took and the grades that you have, but it really at the end of the day, if you don't, if you don't work well in a team and don't know how to communicate well, they, they generally will pass because at the they always say like, you're going to be sitting there for eight, 10 hours a day. They want somebody that they want to sit next to. And if you have to travel to travel, if you have to have lunch to have lunch, like they, that's kind of the mentality that they're coming with. Um, I think from coming from Kings, like do you understand that you're going up against relatively equally footed people in terms of education, like rigorous education and experience. So don't feel that you're coming a step behind in that. So and when you kind of think about that, really think about how can you stand out in your soft skills 
Um, and kind of addition to that, really think about um, focusing on sports, like sports that you play outside activities of school, like that you are not a robot, that you're also a person. And that's kind of what they want to hire. Like, do you volunteer? Where do you volunteer? Um, why do you volunteer there? But that's all really helpful. I think definitely the things that we need to be showcasing, in the, especially in the interview process, it's hard enough to get your foot in the door. But once we get our foot in the door, these are great things to be focusing on. I think some things that we kind of struggle with, I think far too often Sam and I maybe get caught up in the feeling that we, we may not be adequate enough because of this background or the school we have or some of the internships we've had. Um, but what are some of the wordings that we can use when talking about kings and PPE to really make ourselves stand out using these things? How do we promote our soft skills in an interview? I mean, the first way you're going to promote your soft skills is your resume. So is your resume like well-written? Is it articulate? Is it free of errors? Like that matters. Like when they see that, they're going to say, okay, this person knows how to put this together. Mm. Um, I think regarding the King's background, the miscon- I think there's a huge misconception of target schools or non-target schools. Um, I think, yes, you see big companies that do recruit from a number of schools and that they put their resources of recruiting to those, but also know that they're not exclusively recruiting from those. And I can say from my experience that most people I work with come from non-target schools and come from various backgrounds. Um, it's not that everybody's come from Harvard or Yale. It's, that's the minority of the cases. If they did go to target schools, they generally did their graduate school work there, whether it was an MBA, a master's, or law. Um, but undergrads come from a variety of places and generally are from non-target schools. Um, most, so that's kind of where I, what I've seen. And I think for people hiring, personality and experience outweigh where your school, what school you went to by far. Um, I don't think I, not nobody that I've met will ever hire somebody based off of the school that they want to. Um, I think they're gonna they're gonna hire on your personality and the type of experience that you're bringing. So really, kind of like break that misconception of like Kings being a non-target school. Like how yeah. is it difficult? Yeah, we don't have a recruiter physically on on campus, but the firm that you're looking for is like up the street. So right. you also have kind of like, or you can meet the recruiters because they're in the city. So kind of think, I think change that perspective and think about it in a more, in a positive way that, yeah. and to not, not focus on it. Um, and then when you do talk about it, I really, I think it's like bring the confidence as to why it's different, what it's taught you, um, how you, how, what benefits you've seen of the education. And I think that's really the important part is saying like I chose Kings because of X, Y, Z. Um, these were the things that were important for me. These are the things that I've learned. This is why I love the school. I think a lot of that knowing why you are at the school and why you chose the program and what you've learned and you being able to articulate and present that has, is, far more important than the school that you went to. Um, also, if you're trying to go to a company or trying to go to a team that's ex- that's really focused on the school, maybe that's not the place for you, that, maybe that's not the place to, for you or nor a place that you're going to thrive in the long term. So um, kind of have that also in mind. It's really not, it's only been positive as to more like people are curious as to what King's is, what is PPE, um, I actually 
an interview that I went on. A gentleman was from London where his school wrote the book on PPE. So he was, we had a conversation actually about why PPE and the benefits of it and stuff like that, right? It's, um, and I think also think about the weaknesses of target schools is that people that come know that they're at a target school, they generally have a poor attitude and they kind of have um, inflated self-esteem or uh-huh. self-perception as to like, I'm great because I went to a target school. It's like, that's, nobody wants to work with someone like that. Yeah. Um, so really kind of be humble. So that, that would be my um, kind of advice on the, how to present Kings and yeah. your school in general. Well, that's really helpful and encouraging. I think you're you're right. There's great things that are about that we can say about Kings and about our experience, and it's really painting a picture in that light. I second everything Tyler said there. Uh, but we kind of want to transition into uh, what your future plans look like for yourself personally. Um, sure. What direction do you see yourself heading? Uh, do you see yourself living in New York City long term as quarantine? change any of that yeah i think um new york's always great and i think for me is a really great base i'm always open to going to a new city going to a new company like having a different experience i think that really helps build you and kind of change you that you're not kind of in the same routine and i think kind of always helpful so for me it's yes i would love to stay here but also looking at always always looking at opportunities elsewhere um i think for me a big focus of mine and really kind of what I want to um, next steps in my career to be and really more long-term is um, this concept of impact investing. And I think goes hand in hand coming from Kings. Uh, I love finance, but I also want my work in finance to have a measurable social good. And um, for me, that's definitely where I, where I think finance is headed in general, but it's definitely personally where I want to go and, um, I think that kind of focusing on that and being able to provide kind of clients or um, be in finance, but also be able to say that I'm doing X or Y that has positive social um, outcomes. So that for me is definitely a focus of mine. And um, obviously grad for me is obvious grad school and um, down the line. So we'll just see when and how, but that's kind of, next steps. So you spoke earlier when you were looking at firms at the beginning of your career, kind of tearing them out and seeing which ones uh, you really wanted to go to. Um, did, have you applied that same kind of tiering process to looking at what spaces you wanted to go into and in impact investing, whether that be PE, hedge funds, VC? Could you talk a little yeah. bit more about that? Yeah, I think um, kind of same up applies is going through informational interviews and getting an understanding for the landscape. I don't sit in the impact investing space, even if it's within finance, I don't see kind of that field. So it's going out and um, I went to a conference, reached out to people on LinkedIn, um, met up with coffees just to get an understanding of, first of all, kind of what the space is, and then you tear it. Um, For me, I think that's a great process to go through and terms of understanding, okay, if I go to a private equity firm, what does impact investing look like there? What does it look like at a hedge fund? What are other types of firms um, that are doing impact investing, but isn't necessarily their focal point? So I think kind of breaking it up and seeing um, that way, it's always thinking about 
do I want to go to a firm that's already a leader or do I want to go to a firm that isn't necessarily a leader where I can provide value and um, kind of push them in that direction. So it's kind of a little bit of both and really think, thinking about it like that. Wow. Well, so this has been absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this with us. This has been insightful for us. We hope it's helpful to anyone else who listens, but this has been great. Thank you so much for your time. Hey guys, just wanted to say thank you for joining us on this episode. We hope you really enjoyed it. Give us a follow on Instagram, Spotify, and LinkedIn at Life on Leverage Podcast to stay up to date with new episodes. If you're interested in learning more about the podcast or Sam and I, or if you just like links to any of our socials and all of our episodes, go check out our website, lifeonleverage.com. We also upload all kinds of resources to our website, like resume templates, helpful articles, and certifications that we recommend. Please feel free to reach out to us with any recommendations, questions, or requests. We'd love to hear feedback from our listeners on how to improve and what you guys are interested in hearing more about. Thanks again, and see you next time.